everything that I was doing day to day, literally from waking up to going to sleep as an athlete was focused on running faster over 1500 meters. If it was extraneous to that, it was irrelevant and I wouldn't do it. And then going into a job where you have multiple goals to be hitting, I actually found that quite difficult where there was no singular focus. Hello and welcome to Run the Business, the weekly podcast that explores the place where running and leadership come together. We'll find out how running can help us with leading, managing people and generally being better in business. We'll also try and answer that question, do runners make better leaders? I'm Anthony Gay and today I'm thrilled to be joined by an Olympian who has represented Team GB at both Beijing in 2008 and London 2012. But not only is he a two-time Olympian, an Olympic, World, Commonwealth and European finalist, but perhaps his most famous or certainly relatable achievement in running to many of us is that this man is the Park Run world record holder. After being forced into early retirement from professional running through injury, uh, he's since talked about the challenges he faced in losing his identity as a runner, which we'll talk about uh, in this interview as well. Uh, he co-founded The Running Channel, a YouTube channel for runners of all abilities to entertain and educate. It has a global audience of over half a million subscribers. Andy Badley, welcome to Run the Business. Thanks for having me. That's the best intro ever. So I'll come again. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Andy, first question on Run the Business. Uh, when did you last go running? Oh, the, the Sunday. Sunday. What are we now? Thursday, actually. So, yeah, not, I've not been great this week, but Sunday. And do you have a regular routine usually, or is it just kind of a, when you feel? I mean, the the irony, I suppose, is, is I had the most regular routine as a, as a professional athlete. And then when I didn't have to do it anymore, that went out the window. Um, and I have three young children, so my routine is is their routine. So uh, I grab a run when I can, basically. I, I feel your, uh, exp- I won't say pain, it's not pain, but I, f- I feel that experience that you're going through. Now, for those who might not be familiar with your journey through running, firstly, could you tell us a, a bit about how you went from growing up on the Wirral to being a professional athlete? Yeah, I mean, I never, I didn't set out to be a professional athlete, I don't think. I, I, um, I went along with a friend when I was about 10, last year of primary school to cross country club because his mum wanted him to do something because he was lazy and he grabbed me I went along and then he gave up after a couple of months and I'm probably still going now and that's 30 years ago um, and then through through kind of school high school I ran and was pretty good but like actually when I first started school there was loads of people just in my own year at my own school who were a lot better than me and I just kind of kept showing up because I loved it I thought it was fun and getting a bit muddy and cross country and making friends, like, so that, that power of shared experience. Mm-hmm. I did other sports too, swimming and, and football and, and things like that. And ironically, I think I was better suited to team sports, but I was just better at running. Mm-hmm. And then throughout school, I kind of just kept turning up and, and people kind of dropped by the wayside and I could see the improvements I was making and started to take it more and more seriously. And then even by the time it was, I was kind of 18 and, and university bound, I was definitely still putting academics first. It was only really in my final year at university, so I was 21 my fourth year at university i kind of teamed up with my coach who coached me then throughout the rest of my career and and that was just because i was coaching the cross-country team at at university and because at cambridge the everything was self-coached that was just students kind of making it up as we went along yeah and i didn't know what to do i didn't know how to set training sessions for 40 to 100 people that were vastly different in ability so i spoke to andy hobdell who became my coach who i'd met previously and uh because he was coaching the team through me, I kind of had to show up a bit more often than I had been. Um, and I had to do a little bit more constructive training that was better pieced together. And through that, I just saw this dramatic improvement at the age of 21. 
from kind of I'd, I'd kind of plateaued from 18 to 21 I'd been quite good as a junior and then just not really broken through and then all of a sudden just all this massive improvement started making GB teams around my first sub four minute mile I've still got the uh, empty bottle of champagne that Andy bought me after that actually so that was 2004 I think uh, yeah and then and then from that Andy then convinced me to not take a PhD and to, and to give it a year with him training properly down in London right and I kind of gave myself that year and then again saw even more improvement and then that was then the, the kind of the reality kicked in that maybe I could make the Olympics or, or you know or at least regularly run for Great Britain and you still never quite dare to believe that you'll be at the Olympics and then by the time the Olympics came around in 2008 in my head it wasn't a matter of like making the Olympic team it was it was I could win a medal at the Olympics and it's amazing how quickly the goalposts shift um, and then you're disappointed when you don't win that medal. And I'm sure you've been asked this many, many times about representing Great Britain at the Olympics. We could probably fill an entire podcast with that. Uh, you know, more than a decade on, I mean, well, Beijing was even longer than that. What memories stick around in your mind about that time? I think Beijing was a, a kind of cooler experience than London 2012, bizarrely. But the pressure that I felt for London 2012 was totally different because it was at home. I lived in London as well, and it felt a bit strange to to, to have that huge thing in your town where you lived obviously a big big city yeah but actually going to my first olympics traveling to quite literally the other side of the world and, and the culture that was so different and, and that that exotic element of it that was kind of more what the olympics had been to me as a kid like seeing it in these far-flung incredible places like sydney and um atlanta and barcelona i suppose barcelona's not so far flung but it wasn't home and it was you know in a different language and all that stuff mm-hmm. so going to beijing was this really magical experience feeling like you're doing the, the single thing that you've you know, been training for for your whole life almost and that the whole world is watching. And yeah, it felt, it felt very different there to what it did in, in 2012. And I think I enjoyed Beijing more uh, because of that. And did you, you, you mentioned structure and routine that you, you know, you went through and, and you built to when you were at university. Did, did, did that, you know, jumping straight into kind of where you are now, did that mindset and that structure and that organization, which I'm sure was a huge part of your training, did that serve you well later in life? Yeah, I don't know whether it was the, it's the structure per se, but it's definitely the singular pursuit of something that filled my kind of every waking hour as a runner. But initially, I struggled with that in terms of the real world in business and in a job where in a normal job, there's not one singular goal. that you're So like everything that I was doing day to day, literally from waking up to going to sleep as an athlete was focused on running faster over 1500 meters. So running faster for three and three quarters lap, lap to the track. If it was kind of extraneous to that, it was irrelevant and I wouldn't do it. Um, so if it was a distraction, it didn't even feature in my routine. Mm-hmm. And then going into to a job where you have, you know, multiple tasks and, and, and I suppose multiple goals to be hitting from a personal development perspective, but also from a colleague or management perspective. And then from, a, you know, the business goals of like, I don't know, raising revenue or improving performance or managing some processes. I actually found that quite difficult where there was no singular focus, but from a work ethic perspective, I suppose that the biggest thing that I've taken into my life now is is that I don't require motivating. So so I don't. It's not someone shouting at me, or it's not um, that I'm chasing wealth, or it's like I want to be good at something because I because otherwise why would I bother doing it? <laughs> so um, I suppose that was that was my approach in running. I was like, well, I'm going to do it. This is this is everything that I'm going to do. And I'm going to, you know, even though I didn't achieve it or everything that I wanted to achieve, I don't feel like I really could have done much differently, which is easier to make peace with. And that's kind of my approach at university. Like I was obsessive 
with my, my academics to the point of like, well, I gave up running for 12 weeks for my finals because Cambridge is pretty full on and mm. I was doing an engineering degree, which was incredibly intensive. And so then that 12 week period was, you know, 8 a.m. in the morning till 11 p.m. at night in the library every day. No running, no, no breaks. I mean, obviously breaks for food and stuff, but just like straight through, I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to look back and think, could I have worked a bit harder? So that's maybe painting a slightly obsessive picture, but that was that was my approach. Does it make you quite ruthless in that pursuit? I don't know whether that's the right word or not. You know, you you said obsessive in in mm. in, in you know focusing on a single goal. Um, is that something you've had to sort of balance a bit more as as you sort of move through life? I suppose the thing that's the balance comes in in the fact that i could go to experts and i had an amazing team of people that helped me with stuff that they knew loads more about so mm-hmm. some, uh, my coach the physios work with some amazing you know sports doctors and, and strength coaches and psychologists and stuff but still ultimately when i went out and trained or performed like it was on me and then now i'm suppose i'm in a, like a trying to lead a team you're in this position where actually you have to let other people do stuff yeah and so that that's the probably the the most difficult thing and interestingly being the shoe on the other foot as it were like being a coach like I, I spoke to Andy my coach about it recently about how hard it is to go out just to, to think you've done everything you can do and then watch the person that you've been coaching go out there and, and perform when you can't control the outcome and that's not massively different in terms of trying to build a team and yeah. trying to get the right people in that, that can do the job and ultimately I'm then doing my job if I don't have to do anything probably that's that's pretty tricky to get your head around and, and you mentioned sports psychology which I, I guess is something that you know you've explored and worked with with your coach over the years and, and be, became quite familiar with is that something which you've been able to take through into into work and do you when you coach your team uh, is that coaching mindset does it come from from your athletics background or, or do, have you sort of expanded out into other sort of business type coaching now there's definitely some really key elements that I've tried to help people with. I appreciate that sort of an approach to sports psychology is quite personal. So obviously a good sports psychologist will have has, has worked with me on things that are going to work for me um, as coping strategies for stress or mm-hmm. ways of, you know, allowing yourself to focus in, in like a fast paced environment. Uh, and those are the things I do try to say to, to my, my team of, I found this useful uh, or I found this, this a sensible way of working, but kind of related to that, the most useful part was that understanding how different, everyone's personalities are and were and kind of trying to understand my own internal motivation but also how I behaved under pressure because ultimately that's quite an important thing to know if you're going to go up and race in front of a hundred thousand people yeah or you're going to could be injured and trying to manage that process which actually I was before Beijing like I didn't really run for four or five weeks before the Olympics it was fascinating to me that my psychologist went through everything with me where they said well this is this is your personality type based on your answers that does this sound true and it you know it did it felt very true. And then, then she kind of went through, and this is your kind of opposite personality that you might find most difficult to understand in someone else. And every single trait of that was my wife. <laughs> and, but, but that fundamentally changed our relationship for the better, where yeah. we, both, we both went through that process then. Of the, she, she undertook the same kind of stuff as part of like a major part of my support team for the Olympics. She did the same psychological profile so that we could see whether that actually did validate that. And and it did, and that changed all of the stuff that I assumed she was doing to just annoy me. <laughs> I, I then understood why and, and vice versa. And then part of my kind of, don't get me wrong, my limited psycho- psychology knowledge was that it was explained to me that that opposite personality to me was ultimately how I may well act under the biggest pressure. 
So instead of going from mm-hmm. kind of extroverted and like really big picture, I would like potentially in times of stress become more introverted and, and focused on like real spe- specific and potentially irrelevant detail in order to kind of probably control the controllables. So yeah, I found, I found that fascinating and that is something that's definitely influenced the way that mm-hmm. I speak to people now and try to take a deep breath when someone's doing something and, and, you know, put it in the context of maybe they're not doing that to annoy me or, and maybe it's on me to deliver the information to them in a kind of better way. You mentioned pressure and, and you mentioned the pressure of, of performing in, in front of thousands and thousands of people. Do you still feel pressure today? Do, 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 you know, what, what, what puts you under pressure week to week in your life right now? Yeah, I feel pressure all of the time. <laughs> I feel, maybe I put myself under that pressure to just be successful in inverted commas, but I'm sort of now measuring my success in, in terms of can I build a team that are effective together, that actually want to work for each other? And don't get me wrong, like I'm not a CEO of a you know thousand person business. There's you know ten of us, mm-hmm. but that's that's challenging, and it's challenging every day because I, sometimes I'm just maybe not very good at it, and I'm pretty harsh. I'm a harsh self critic that oh, I should have I should have handled that differently. I suppose that's that is the athlete mindset of trying to learn from getting knocked down. Like in athletics, only one person gets to win every race that you do. So it's pretty rare that you just go through your career winning everything. So every, every time you lose or have a loss, like how do you take it? And I would definitely pride myself on kind of picking myself back up. But I do have to acknowledge that that like that's not everyone's attitude and some people bounce back quicker than others and also yeah. everyone works at a different pace. So that's what gives me stress to, to, to kind of, <laughs> or the, I forget what your actual question was there. Yeah, just around the pressure that, that I'm just trying to understand because you have felt pressure, you know, as an athlete at that highest level. And, and once you've experienced that, I just wondered around the pressure. And obviously, everybody gets pressured and stressed at some point. But I just wondered how it felt compared to the pressure of, of when you were performing. If, if it, it, I guess I'm, I'm trying to understand if it feels easier later in life when you've had that extreme pressure on you I, I, but it sounds like it's just different different yeah it's different it's more of more like it's over a longer period isn't it i suppose um the pressure just builds and builds and builds when you're building up to a major championship event and then actually have this like massive kind of flat period after it happens because then you're like well what now it's another four years until i do this again mm. so that pressure is, is different much more intense and, and the idea of that performance for four minutes every year or four minutes every four years ultimately being the test or the 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 scale by which you're then paid for the next four years is that that's very difficult to know that you could wake up with a cold or twist your ankle and then that's you know that's a that's the difference between being paid to run for the next three or four years by a shoe company or by lottery funding and not getting anything at all and having to go and get a job Mm. or you know pay on like carry on and and just pay your own way in terms of getting into debt and so on or get a part-time job full-time job obviously loads of people do but my attitude back then was very much that I needed to be a hundred percent in with running. And at the time I didn't feel like I had time to, to work. So the answer to the pressure thing now is that I feel pressure from two different things. Uh, I feel pressure to, to be a mm-hmm. good manager, a good leader. And I definitely make mistakes fairly regularly in that. And, and I perhaps pour myself into the like, emotions of my, my team and their, their needs more than would make me, more effective probably if I could uh, distance myself up from it. But, but I feel pressure to kind of solve problems for them or to help them have the tools to solve their problems. And then in parallel to that, I feel the pressure of the, of the business. Like ultimately, 
I'm leading a business that has raised money from investors and you know they expect a return and ultimately I'm trying to build a successful business. So we want the same thing. But you, you go about things at a slightly different pace than you might if you were going about it purely for your own uh, purposes, as it were. And when when you realized your professional running career you know might be coming to an end when you know when the injury um sort of came up had you already considered at that point the job or career that you might want to do down the line or or were you so in the moment and in the zone that it just wasn't it wasn't relevant so i was injured pretty much all the time between 2012 and 2016 i kept trying to come back and then um getting injured again or just not being able to do it properly and then i ultimately had surgery in early 2015 and did manage to get back for a decent year in 2016 to try and make a third Olympics. Um, but it was the end of that year when I then picked up another injury and had a, my second child that I was like, I can't be as selfish as this requires anymore. So what during that the end of that period, so it did take a few years of being injured before I was even considering the idea of like what I'd need to do next because I, I, was, I was all in on my recovery. So when, when I was fully fit and healthy, I was running 12 times a week, running close to 100 miles a week three gym sessions on top of that, that was really full on. And then all of a sudden when you're injured, you think, well, you'll have some downtime, but actually you have to train harder. Or it felt to me you had to put more time in because if you're in the swimming pool, it's actually quite hard to get your heart rate as high as, as it is on a run. And so I was definitely either doing it for longer or working harder to try to keep my heart rate up to, to make it in some way equivalent to the training I'd have been doing. And then, then yeah, I started to accept that this isn't going to last forever. Um, I was doing a little bit of work with the Dame Kelly Holmes Trust who do some amazing stuff in the community to kind of engage young people through sport and to give people opportunities they might not otherwise have mm-hmm. through training and getting them into jobs and so on. And as part of that, actually, the, the trust themselves offered me access to a kind of transition course, which was fascinating because it just made you, the idea of transitioning from a fresh athlete into getting a real job just made me think about it in a slightly different way. I still would never have known I was going to do what I'm doing now, so I definitely didn't set up set out to to launch the running channel or have those thoughts back then. But I at least started planning and I was speaking to people like Parkrun with the, the, as a record holder, I thought, you know, maybe that might open some doors there. And I was passionate about what they did in the community about running. I was working with a friend on a project where we were, who's actually my, my physio, who was helping me through all of the surgeries and stuff where we thought we could run some amazing training camps at that like proper Olympic elite performance level. And then for whatever reason, that kind of was put onto the back burner. And at the same time I was offered a, I met, someone by pure chance to who I kind of gave my CV to and said like, I'll come and work for you for free. And they were running a, a PR and communications agency in London. And eight weeks later, this guy, Adam, very gratefully offered me a job. Like he took a punt on this guy who, who like, you know, I thought I was good at stuff, but you're not quite sure that the skills that you've built up as a, as a runner for 15 years are actually going to be use, useful or tangible in the workplace. Yeah. So he took a, took a punt on me and then it was actually Adam and myself that, that co-founded the running channel. So that was born out of that relationship. So it was that kind of chance taking a chance that, that led to, to exactly what I'm doing now. And, you know, the running channel was Adam's idea and, and he came to me as, as someone with running expertise and said, I think, I think there's something here. What do you think? And then that's when we kind of cracked on with it. And, and do you consider yourself, you know, now a, a businessman and an entrepreneur? Is, is, is that kind of how you, you know, uh, you, you, you are a runner, but have you in your mind transitioned into this sort of business type character now? Or, you know, how do, how do you see yourself? Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? You mentioned like the loss of identity during that injury period that I've spoken about previously. Because I definitely was like, if people, I met people, they were like, oh, what do you do? I'd be like, I'm a runner. And that is very much how I, my identity was. Thankfully now, as, as like a 
father and a husband and lots of other things and a business business person. I have other stuff to say, but I still run. I don't necessarily think of myself as a, a business person or entrepreneur or any of those things. I still very much have that kind of imposter syndrome, which, you know, quite often I'll talk to my team about, like, I'll be fairly open with them that, because they'll say the same thing to me. If I give them additional responsibility, then I'm trying to reassure them it's okay. <laughs> it's normal to feel like maybe I don't deserve that responsibility or am I in any way qualified to do this? And I feel that every day as a parent. So that would be how I'm thinking about the day to day. But I, I feel weird describing myself as a CEO. Yeah. When I think about what I'm doing, it's so intense and, and we're all working incredibly hard. Um, so it's not an unfair kind of title, but at the same time, I think of the word CEO and I think of like, I suppose, these, these vast corporations being being led by people you see on TV yeah. <laughs> rather than me having broadly started my own company and then called myself a CEO, which is how I sort of joke about it. Well, you've, you've got a fairly impressive engineering qualification from Cambridge, haven't you? I mean, did, did, when, you know, in terms of that uh, career and, you know, when you were doing that did you ever you know does engineering help you in in what you're doing at the moment or or was that ever a, a, an area that you wanted to pursue more or did it never did it never come up I, when i was I, I went to university to do engineering to, to study aerospace engineering because i wanted to be the person that designed you know the aerodynamic elements of the formula one cars that would that, that that was that was my like ambition oh, okay. right and so my phd was was i had a plan to do a phd and that would have been in in essentially aerodynamics but now I'm too too far removed from that to, to want to go back to it necessarily. I'm passionate about running and all of the, the things that we do at the running channel to try to help people kind of around the world to enjoy running more, to get a little bit more out of their running. And the messages we get from all over the world are incredible. But the the engineering element, I, I think, as it is, is every day it's useful to me in the way that I was taught to analyze a problem or to, or to you know, it's essentially critical thinking. And I know that's not, that's not kind of exclusive to engineering but it, it's a mathematical approach to or you know an engineering approach to, to solving a problem to getting an answer um, there's a lot of anal- data analysis in in, in youtube mm-hmm. there's a, a huge kind of access to back-end data from the thousands of views that we get millions of views so that that's useful in, in that context and um, i like spreadsheets that helps but i think it's, it's more it's the critical thinking and that kind of approach to well there must be an answer so let's try and find it rather than just kind of giving up we need to talk about the running channel. What what challenges and problems did you face? What did you have to overcome at the beginning when when you were setting it up? And and as we mentioned in the intro, it's phenomenally successful. You got huge, uh, you know, a huge community around it now. When you set out at the beginning, how how did you feel then? How how daunting was the task that you had in front of you? Thank you. Yeah, we're really proud of it, and it was daunting. I think that the the most difficult thing is that I, I've, I've sort of said that with my engineering background that what I enjoy is finding an answer. The, the most difficult thing, even now, but certainly back then, is that no one actually really can give you a definitive answer of what works on YouTube. Like we obviously have a very good idea now, but we're still constantly testing because the algorithm changes and you're at the mercy of making sure you, you create stuff that people will click on. So it's not just enough to make a good video. You have to have a good title and a thumbnail. Otherwise, people scroll past. Mm. And that I still find very difficult that there's no you know, mathematical solution to it. There's no like guaranteed answer where this is how you do it. It's really, it's obviously everything's subjective. And then also if you ask the audience sometimes what they would like to see, which we do, we get loads of feedback from, from our viewers and fans. And they will 
say, oh, please make a video about this. And then we get like a fairly high number of requests for that. So we make a video about it and it won't perform <laughs> on YouTube. So that's frustrating. But yeah, that, that would be right, right back in the day. And, I, and in fairness, I should probably give a lot of the credit. Well, I, w- I will give the credit in the very early days to like creating the running channel from nothing. That broadly I was working in a kind of parallel role where I was loosely involved, but certainly um, Anna and Tom, Anna was presenting and researching and creating content and all of this stuff that you end up seeing. And then Tom was, was filming and editing everything. And Adam, who co-founded it, were, were much more hands-on in those early days. And then I brought in some additional kind of analytical thinking in the background and kind of a strategic approach, I'd like to think. But yeah, it's, it's definitely, thankfully, having those people who, who were willing to, to just try. That's what we had to do, right? Just, just try. So that was the challenge in the beginning is you've got to, mm-hmm. you've got to try. Um, otherwise, you'll never find out what does or doesn't work. And then you make some what you think is incredible content. You put it out into the ether and then nobody watches it. And that's fairly heartbreaking. But then gradually we started to get traction and people saw it and that was amazing. Was there a moment where a particular video or something that you put out there, you know, blew up and you thought, hey, this is it. It's, it's going to happen. Was there a, you know, a very distinctive point or was, was it all just sort of gradually building over time? It was, it was, there was, there's definitely been those peaks and that, that I think is fairly familiar to a lot of YouTube channels or YouTubers. Like you have steady growth, which is what we had. Um, and then there are times of the year, like so April for us and October probably now, uh, because of the, the big, when the big marathons are, was when loads of people are, you know, broadly, if you're thinking about running in the UK, you probably got the Great North Run in September and you've got London Marathon. And right around London Marathon, we created a video running at the, the Brighton Marathon where Anna was essentially vlogging and she was recording her thoughts every mile for 26 miles. And that was the first one that really we saw just these incredible numbers in terms of like, it just wasn't what we were used to, you know, a few hundred views here and there kind of thing. And then this one was doing thousands and thousands of views and properly went on to do, do these big numbers. And then, then we realized we definitely had something. And that was, that were, at that point, I think it still felt like we'd, we'd already proved the concept, but then that was like, yes, this is, this is it. Um, and then that, that that did definitely supercharge the growth. You mentioned um, you know trying different videos and and some stuff works, some stuff doesn't. Um, and thinking about businesses in general that want to interact with their audience, with their customers digitally, uh, are there any? I mean, do you think you can distill it down into any sort of common values that tips, if you like, that that you would offer up for, for any company, any any business wanting to engage with a particular audience? Do you think there are commonalities that people should be bearing in mind? I, I guess well, I can give, I give our insight into our approach, which is broadly, this isn't a novel, I suppose, but authenticity at the heart of it. So the people who are on the channel are real people. They're not always super polished and they're not going to tell you that running's like rosy and easy all of the time. And so we're essentially just like you, mm. in inverted commas, just like our audience or viewers or fans or however, however they might like to refer themselves to the running channel. We're not hiding away from the fact that running is difficult. So there's no bullshit there. There's no kind of real runners, I'd hope, or anyone that's experienced running in any way, because ultimately we're for anyone who runs, not necessarily just someone who would call themselves a runner, would watch it and go, yeah, I, that seems that seems legit. That seems like I'm not kind of being lied to. And I think that, that if you're trying to speak to a very specific audience, it's tapping into what they like, mm. how they feel, actually understanding that. Um, and there's a reason I'm not on, you know, I'm on the camera, on camera sometimes, but not as much as other people, because I'm 
my experiences of running are quite unique. Like most people haven't been to the Olympics. Mm. And so either if I, if I am doing stuff, then, then it's, it's either trying to normalize me because um, I'm now 40 and, and in no way in Olympic shape um, or to give some advice on my experience. Or maybe I just shouldn't be on some of the, sh- the shoots at all because we've got some amazing people who are just like every other runner out there. You, you mentioned authenticity. Uh, it's crucial, isn't it? And, and I think something that strikes me about the running channel is, is the you know, rawness that um, the, the host being vulnerable with, you know, and, and, you know, they can laugh, cry, you know, in, you know, the same video. And, and that is so important, isn't it? Yeah. As part of the connection that you, you've built with the channel. Yeah, I think we would like to, to feel like we're people's friends or that it feels like that. So we're not so out of reach. We're not like in any way like Hollywood stars where you think that you're sort of expecting people to kind of scream and, and never imagine meeting you. We would like to think we're just normal people. If you turn the camera off, we're still the same and you might want to go down to the pub with us. And if, and if you're watching some of our content, maybe you feel like you are in the pub or in the living room with your mates. That's the idea. But but hopefully we feel like mates or people who know a little bit more about running or are willing to ask some difficult questions or, or give you the answers to questions that you might have. And this podcast is about what running can, can teach us about business uh, and, and leadership. You know, you've made a business out of running. Are there any direct parallels that that you can think of? You can highlight. I mean, people talk about you know goal setting in in you know in running and and you know routine and structure. Is, is there something that jumps out for you, or even a specific example that you can take from your running experience that has helped you in in the business environment? Oh, that's a big question, isn't it? Um, I do this a lot, and I go, "There's two things," and I do the first one and forget what the second one is. Yeah, I'm going to say one one thing is is um self is improvement like this constant strive to improve that's something that i think our viewers want improvement for them will mean very different things could mean trying to run a much faster time over a certain distance it could mean running a little bit further could just mean running more regularly that's still measured improvement because you can kind of see it or keep keep track of it that's definitely like i guess we as a business are constantly trying to understand what will perform on youtube we're trying to understand what our audience want we're trying to make our content kind of iteratively better every time trying to evolve the style and the tone. Uh, so that, that, that kind of really, there's a really strong parallel there across our business and, and my running experience. Um, and then yeah, I do, I've done exactly what I said I was going to do, which is forget my second point. <laughs> it's the, no, it's the, the, um, the idea of building a high performance team. So I was fortunate to be an athlete at the center of a high performance team, but I have experienced how that team worked effectively with, with each other. And so my coach was essentially coordinating that team with me where we needed to manage different personalities too so that that was the first time i became aware of the different personalities yeah. my physiologist that i work with i didn't really understand it why like when i put him on the spot about some some really deep science or whatever he didn't want to give me an answer but that's purely his personality which is very similar to my wife she would like she would want to give me the right answer and therefore we want to go away and have a think about it or go away and actually actually look up the answers rather than be put on the spot whereas i'm much more i'm, I'm happy to give an answer even if i might be wrong and then, and then other people I worked with were, were very different in terms of their their motivations or their ability to to motivate me in particular situations. Yeah. So being at the centre of, of that high performance team, and then, like I said, I, I definitely don't feel I'm I'm a finished article and being able to do this. But that's what I would try and do at work: make sure, trying to make the team feel like they are parts of a, a high performance team that I trust them to do their job. You know that they they work for the business and that have been hired because they're great um, and that they know more about what they do than I do. So that's why I would trust them to do it. A few questions before, uh, you know, to finish up with uh, music or 
no music. Uh, do you run these days with with a song in the background? And um, what gets you going? Is, is there any sounds that you like to hear when you go running? So I never would have during my career because I felt like it was somehow a distraction. <laughs> Maybe on the occasional sort of steady run, but definitely not during like interval training or anything like that. Whereas now, yes, I I would all, almost always run with either music or podcasts just to take take my like it's it's my chance to escape and to, to listen to something so either so i have two playlists actually on my watch that i'll listen to one is kind of quite folky like happy folk i think it's called and then one is actually like uh, euphoric dance anthems from you know that, that that i remember kind of ministry of sound type stuff from back in the day i find that quite uplifting when i'm running yeah and then the podcasts i listen to are always quite comedy so i listen to Chuck married annoyed and i listen to um Parenting Hell, which is very relevant for me, but I think Rob Beckett and um, Josh Widdicombe are so funny in that, and, and very like very real. Actually, very recently they've been speaking very openly about you know borderline kind of almost emotional breakdown for Josh Widdicombe, like very speaking very openly about the pressure he's felt as a parent and as a comic, and but in in a really funny, self-deprecating way, very British. Brilliant, some some great uh, d- different things for people to check out there. I've got to ask you about this part run world record. Um, it's something I'm absolutely fascinated by. Uh, can you remember the the, the specific day um, when it when it happened? And for people that I'm sure people are aware of what part run is, but tell us what the time was. I ran I ran thirteen forty eight. So there were people peppering that now. Actually, so you know, by the time you put this out, someone may well have stolen that. But I've hung on to it for ten years because it was August twenty twelve. So I'm pretty proud of that. So when someone takes it, I'm okay with that. Can you remember the day? Can you remember the conditions? Because it was it was Bushy Park, wasn't it? In um, uh, the, the the home of Park Run, wasn't it? Yeah. So the first ever Bushy Park time trial, as it was back in, in the early two thousands. Um, yeah, I can. I remember it vividly. I actually remember that more vividly than a lot of my races, like my actual you know big championship races, because it was one of the best moments of my career. Not because of the record necessarily. It was during the London. 2012 Olympics. I'd just been knocked out of the semi-finals on the Monday, I think, and didn't make the final, so I was de- like desperately kind of disappointed. Yeah. And then that would have been the Monday, and then on Saturday, so five days later, I did the the Parkrun in Bushy whilst the Olympics was still going on. And the, the the feeling, and I know I said that I enjoyed Beijing more, but it was nothing like the, the feeling and, and the positivity in London during that period. It was if you weren't there, it's impossible to explain. I, I remember it. Yeah, remember it well. Went to a, a few different sporting events, just yeah. being around London. It was magical, wasn't it? It was wonderful. Yeah, exactly that. And, and Bushy Park is one of the biggest park runs. So three weekly time 5Ks every Saturday. That's where it all started. There was over a thousand people there. I was trying to kind of sneak under the radar and just, just rock up and run it. And my coach had said, well, let's go for the record. The record was 14 minutes. No one had ever broken 14 minutes in a park run. And... Um, but the, the we knew the organisers. We, we you know I lived and trained in that area, so the, the event director had spotted us and asked what was happening, and he said something about the record, and I kind of gave a pretty non-committal answer, and then he had his like megaphone for the beginning, and he kind of announced that I was there. I can't remember whether he said anything about the record, but like the cheer that I got from these thousand people was almost as I mean it was much more personal than say that the noise in the in the in the stadium in London. So that noise was like kind of hair on the back of your neck, standing on standing on end, proper gave me chills it was just this incredible emotional outpouring of support um and then yeah we set off and and kind of the, the rest but i remember it it was a beautiful sunny day not a breath of wind bushy park's not actually a very fast course it's it's grass and gravel so there's no road at all and i think the distinction now is there's lots of faster courses and there's the, the super shoes which so i do i do think that, that, that someone will come along and come along and and 
pit me, pit, pit my record. But yeah, I just, I was really, really proud of it. I stayed around for hours afterwards chatting to people and just that actually personified or, you know, exemplifies what we tried to do at the running channel. That feeling after a park run of like shared experience and, and people enjoying the same passion and community and so on. That's ultimately what sort of inspired the idea of the running channel. It's like, well, that's, that's for a short period of time on a Saturday morning. Can we kind of be a companion for people online that gives them the answers to their questions and, and that they can trust and that they can, and can be entertained and make them laugh and make them cry and all of that sort of stuff. In those days, did you get a token when you finished? Did you have to sort of queue up and do the? You did. Yes, right. yes, I did. The, 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 yeah, I did. There wasn't right. a queue though. No. Obviously, um, but yeah, funnily enough. But yeah, there's an incredible, really grainy phone video of me finishing and crossing the line, and you see one of the volunteers who's clearly just seen the time on on her colleagues kind of stopwatch leap up into the air in this kind of really jubilant celebration. Wow! And uh, yeah, I, I've got a photo of myself my wife and a few of us that ran the park on that day. My coach was on the bike for me, with me most of the way around as well. And that's something we talk about. We talk about amongst each other, not in a like, weren't we great? Just in a kind of, that was magical. And I love that, you know, the way that you talked about capturing the spirit of that and taking it forward with the running channel and, and other things you do. Because, you know, I, I do a few park runs near me and, and I know exactly what you mean. And the, the guys and, and uh, the, the men and women that turn up and the kids that help out. It's just such a wonderful community event. Um, and this is happening all over the world and, and being able to sort of capture that and, and use, you know, take it to other spaces uh, as you've done with the running channel. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's like a, it's a nice fitting inspiration and also like a good analogy for what we're trying to achieve. A couple of questions to finish before I let you go. Uh, running aside, can you name uh, one business tool, an app, maybe a person, something that you, you couldn't do without in business that, that really helps you? Ooh. That's a good question. Um, something that we couldn't do, that I couldn't do without. I have fits and starts of how effective I am at it, but, but we use monday.com as a, I mean, I think it's a terrible name. But because it's very hard to say to someone, can you just put that on Monday? But it, if, if anyone's not familiar, it's kind of like Asana, Trello, like it's a um, productivity yeah. planner, to-do list. It's all of these things. And I'm probably, uh, I read, I've forgotten the author, but it's, it's like the art of productivity or getting things done, I think it's called. And I just found that the simplicity of, of having one list or one place, one repository for all of your actions. And so ultimately that's a repository for all of our team's actions as well as just mine. Mm-hmm. But knowing that I don't have to remember everything and every time I do think of something that I put it in there and then it's kind of not dealt with, but at least I've, I'm not going to forget it. And that's very simple. But And I suppose the extension of that is then the advice is that, that I had that was pretty powerful is your brain can't kind of switch off if it's still processing a task. So even if you've written it down and you know you're not going to forget it, if you haven't actually got closure on that task, i.e. by deciding what action you need to take, then it's very difficult for your brain to let it go. So actually taking the extra few minutes when you write the task down to rather than write something really generic like a presentation to shareholders, it's actually taking the time to, to write down a subtask or write down actually the action to take, which might be compile updated financial information or whatever it might be. Mm. But then your brain will allow you to, you've done the bit of processing that then allows your brain to kind of switch off. Make, makes total sense. I get that, yeah. And um, business aside for a second, what's your favorite bit of running kit 
accessory, something you can't do without. Uh, I'm sure you've had so many different things over the years, but is there, and you don't have to mention brand names or anything like that, but I'm just curious, what 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 kind of thing is it that, that helps you? I've got, I've got a couple probably. So my watch has music on it and I don't run with a phone. I don't have a pocket to put it in. So I was going to say the combination of my watch and headphones. So I have Bluetooth headphones that are really good for running and my watch. And that means I'm like pretty self-sufficient. My watch has like contactless payment on it. It can navigate me. It, I can put courses on there. And actually that's the element I'd say is the best. I'm, I, I love the most is if I go somewhere new, like I'm on holiday, I go into the app for the watch. I can choose other people's routes or I can say I want to run 10K in roughly that direction and it will put together all of the most popular roads or trails that are run on in that area and it'll create a route for me. I've done that in so many locations now where I just go out the door and know I'm going to run 10K and I don't have to do like a boring out and back up the main road. I can go off on the beaten and I've just found some of the most, most incredible runs have been those where I would never would have found these little twisty turns or, or trails up a hill or across a farmer's field or whatever, but you have the confidence to do it because you know that through the heat map of several other hundred thousand users in the area, you, you're going somewhere that actually was going to give you a loop. And are you doing a uh, sort of side question to that? Are you doing much, uh, you know, fell trail running, you know, r- running in, in different terrains these days compared to, I, I guess it was you know, predominantly for many years, track and, and road running that you were doing? I actually never ran on the road really. And, and so even now I don't run on the road at all if I can help it. Like I never considered it trail running. And in fairness, when I was based in South of London for a lot of my career, where I was running was places like Bushy Park, Richmond Park, Wimbledon and Common. So whilst they weren't on the road, they were very like manicured trails. And then now uh, the countryside around me is it's beautiful. It's, it's more difficult in the winter because it's the kind of mud that sort of builds up on your shoes. But, but we also have some of the forests near me are kind of pine needle trails. So they're actually fine in the winter. That, that would be my favorite running pine needle trails, the smell and the kind of just soft enough underfoot, but not kind of not so sandy or slippery or anything like that. That's, that's, my, that's, how I, I, that's what I would choose. That's a lovely picture to uh, to take away in in uh, in my mind. Uh, and then the final question: What advice would you give to anybody who's listening to this, who's in a business role, a leadership role, and they're considering getting more active, specifically taking up running? And you can't say watch the Running Channel because th- that's a given. Uh, what what would, what would you say to those people? What what do you think running could add to, to to their life in in business and leadership? I definitely think more clearly when I'm on a run. It allows me to process some of the stuff subconsciously or consciously that is going on day to day, like whether that's an interaction with a team member, how to deal with a you know difficult situation with a client or maybe solve a problem. And actually sometimes I solve stuff that I didn't even realize was a problem when I'm on a run, like something subconscious will come to me as an idea and I think, oh, that is the solution to the thing I was thinking about last week. And and I think that's because, this, again, not, not brilliant physiological understanding here, but I remember the TV series House he would always sit, um, the, the, the doctor, he would sit and throw a ball against the wall. That was how, that was his thought process. I vividly remember that. And then I remember reading something about how you are, if you do catch and throw a ball whilst talking or thinking, that allows you to, to problem solve in a totally different way. It, it uses your brain in a different conscious and subconscious way. And I think that running has a similar effect for me. Andy, um, part run world record holder i'll say well, I, I, it's still there and I, i'll leave that in uh, when we put this podcast out thank you so much for your time it's been wonderful to catch up and uh, all the best with the running channel we'll put the details if anybody isn't aware of the running channel in the in the show notes for this one so people can check it out but it is literally isn't it the runningchannel.com 
That's right. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash running channel. Andy, thanks so much. And uh, all the best. Thanks for being part of Run the Business. Great. Thanks, Anne. Thank you to Andy Badley for his time on Run the Business this week. What an inspiring guy. It was lovely to hear his memories of the Olympics. I'm still gobsmacked about his park run record, which as of today, uh, as I am saying this, still stands. Let me just put that in perspective. Almost 42.5 million finishes have happened in park run. Andy has the quickest time of all of them in 13 minutes and 48 seconds. That's fantastic. I don't think that's changing for a while. So what are we taking away from that conversation? Uh, I loved Andy's story about how as an athlete, his coaching team analysed his personality profile and of the people around him to help get the best out of him in pressure situations and, and, and know how to operate and how he consciously transferred that learning uh, into business and the people that he works with and interacts with, trying to understand uh, what makes people tick. Different people behave in different ways, um, especially under pressure. And I know most runners don't take part in psychological profiling, but developing empathy is such a powerful thing uh, if you work with teams, if you're a leader. you, you got to know how your people feel. Uh, speaking to Andy's success with the running channel, I love the way he and the team have really thought about their audience. And I know this is an obvious one, but they've really got granular with the values and the tone of voice they use in engaging them. Authenticity is such an overused word these days, but I think he's really helped capture it in the videos that they do on the running channel. They don't sugarcoat it. You don't win all the time. Uh, it's really hard, but that's okay because it makes success when it comes along something you appreciate more, I think. Uh, as a leader, he also knows, and he talked about this, stepping back and letting the team take the spotlight. Um, that's so true of many great leaders. It's, it's not all about the person at the front. It's not all about the CEO. He was at the center of a high-performance team when he was an athlete, uh, and he wants to build a high-performance team with the running channel, trusting his people to get on with it uh, in the right moments. Uh, what a great guy to work with. Uh, you can check out the running channel uh, on YouTube or via therunningchannel.com. We will finish this week with a quote on teamwork from Andrew Carnegie. Teamwork is the ability to work together towards a common vision. The ability to direct individual accomplishments towards organizational objectives. It's the fuel that allows common people to attain uncommon results. Have a think about that one. I'm Anthony Gay, and until next time, keep running and keep chasing your goals.